Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast about how to make your life happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative. This week, we'll talk about why it's a good idea to note the start date of any notable pain or symptom. And we'll talk to the multi-talented and extraordinarily productive Hollywood powerhouse, Mark Duplass, about his new memoir with his brother called Like Brothers. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. And I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, who is also multi-talented and extraordinarily <laughs> productive. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles. And speaking of being productive, Gretchen, I'm in our new office for The Fix. We've been here a couple weeks, but I'm still not quite set up. Um, <laughs> so sorry, I'm calling you for my landline, but I promise I will get my podcasting set up for next time. Yeah, I know you've had a lot in your mind. Um, but Elizabeth, I think, you know, today is July 4th, which in the United States, of course, is our 4th of July holiday. And for you and me, though, it has special meaning. Yes, it is our mom's birthday. Happy birthday, mom. Happy birthday. <laughs> it is such a festive day to have as a birthday. And in fact, um, it's funny, when our mother was little, our aunt thought she was very disappointed when her birthday came around that there weren't fireworks for her birthday. She yes. thought that's just what happened. You know, as one does, one has fireworks for a birthday. And so it's a great day because it's such a celebratory holiday. So happy yes. birthday, Mom. Happy birthday. Now, on a kind of different note, uh, I will say that our Try This at Home tip this week is to make a note of the start date of any pain or symptom. Anything that seems like, okay, this might be a little something more than the usual thing. And I have learned this, Elizabeth, I will tell you, the hard way. Because mm. I find that, you know, people will say like, oh, well, when did this happen? And I'm like, I have no idea. Two weeks, two months. Like, I've completely, I like, I'm lost in space. I have completely lost the ability to gauge when something happened. And a couple mm. of times, like, I had this really bad problem with my shoulder. And people kept saying like, well, when did this start? I had no had idea. No idea. No, mm-hmm. I couldn't even, I couldn't even roughly guess. Right. Yeah. And then if you know, but if you had made a note, oh, my shoulder's been bothering me. Let me just write down, you know, July 1st. Then yeah. you could have gone back and looked and known. And it takes one second to just note it down. Yeah. And I think, I think for several reasons it would have been helpful. One thing that would have been helpful is what I did with my shoulder is I kept saying to myself, oh, it's getting better. Oh, it's getting better. Mm. But I think if I had realized how long it had been hurting, I wouldn't have been able to convince myself that it was improving because I was like, oh, this just started. But like, actually, then when I really, really, really tried to remember, like, did I have the was it hurting then? Was it hurting then? Was it hurting then? Mm-hmm. It's like it had been hurting me for a really long time before I re- I truly acknowledged to myself, OK, this is something's going on here. I think it's easy to just say, oh, this symptom is no big deal. Oh, it's probably just some weird thing that's happening. If you don't sort of acknowledge it, you know, and writing it down acknowledges it. Like this happened to me before I was diagnosed with type one diabetes, because I did have all these symptoms, you know, in retrospect, I was losing a lot of hair. I was losing a lot of weight. I didn't feel good. Like just to make a pot of coffee felt like, oh my God, this is so much effort. Mm. And I just kept saying, oh, I'm stressed. I'm tired. Work is really tough. And like, had I written down, okay, hair, noticing hair loss, 
you know, oh, lost 15 pounds. Like if I had just noted any of that down on a piece of paper, like when I started, these things started coming clear, I would have said, oh, I need to go to the doctor. Right. It just because I just sort of had it in the periphery of my brain that things right. were happening, I was able to ignore the symptoms. Right, right. Until finally I didn't. And it really, I mean, it should have been, it got to kind of a danger point. You know, I mean, yeah. if I, a month earlier it would have been far better for me to, you know, get to the doctor or months earlier, probably. Well, and then, and this is to your point, like if you do need care, if you do end up going in, the question they always ask is, when did you start noticing this? And you're like, yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's good. Well, and then there's the flip side, too. So this is kind of like you need to recognize that things are going wrong. But then also a lot of pain just kind of resolves on its own. Like, mm. I remember once I had sort of this gut pain and I was going to fly. So I asked a doctor about it. He's like, you know, usually gut pain just kind of goes away. Back pain, you know, it might go away. And so sometimes people overreact or panic or be like, this has been hurting me forever. And when you write it down, you're like, well, really, it's only been three days. Right, you know, right. then it can be reassuring. Like, well, I haven't really given it that much time. Maybe certain kinds of things, you can let them run their course a bit and see. But again, having the specificity of knowing when it actually started, it just gives you the information that you need to evaluate what is the true situation. Where if yeah. you don't have that information, you're missing a big piece of something that could be a really important thing to know. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of your thing. You say you manage what you monitor. It's yeah. like if you, like, again, with the diabetes, had I been writing all this down, I would have monitored it, and then I would have managed it, you know, yeah. instead of doing what I did, which is just sort of pretend it wasn't happening. Right, right. No, I think that's, I think there's a tendency to do that. Now, I remember a friend of mine, he was like, oh, I had kind of all these weird bruises. So, you know, I was like, I wonder if I should go. And it's like, well, yeah, something like a lot of kind of mysterious, weird bruises. Probably that's worth notice, you know, taking account of it. But he had to allow himself to consciously notice I'm experiencing this pattern. And it turned out it was nothing. So it was fine. But it's the kind of thing that you don't want to just shut your eyes to everything that might be happening. Yeah. So just make a note. Make a note. Very your, simple. Very, very simple. Just whether you're a digital calendar like I am, my newfound digital calendar, or you're still with a paper calendar or how, put it on your bulletin board, whatever works for you. Just make a quick note. And now time for the happiness hack. This one is related to promptness. Yes, it comes from Nathan. He says, I've always been a slave to the clock. To be late is a cardinal sin. As a contractor, I make lots of appointments with people, and for decades I found keeping my appointments very stressful. I'd say, okay, Mrs. Smith, I'll drop by at 7 p.m. on Tuesday. Then on Tuesday, as I was driving to meet Mrs. Smith, something unexpected would happen to slow me down. Sometimes it might be a train crossing. Perhaps I needed to stop for gas. I very rarely would be late, but the anger and panic about possibly being late really got to me. Then it suddenly came to me. Instead of telling Mrs. Smith I would see her at 7 p.m., I could tell her that I would see her between 7 and 7.30 p.m., Wow, all the stress of my appointment commutes vanished immediately just by giving myself a bigger window of arrival time. This is a life-changing happiness hack for me, Gretchen, because living in Los Angeles, I so relate to the stress of getting somewhere exactly on time. And the idea of having a window 
is it, it makes me feel more relaxed, honestly, just thinking about it. Yeah. Well, and if you're the kind of person, and I'm like this, and so is my husband, um, if you're the kind of person where you really, really want to be on time, it is. some people are like, oh, you know, as long as it's 10 or 15 minutes, or like, it just doesn't bother them that much. But like you and me and Jamie, yes. some people get very, very focused on that time and, the, and just the anxiety builds. And a lot of times it doesn't really matter. I mean, if you're trying to meet somebody right. for a movie, maybe it matters. But a lot of times you can just say, well, I'll stop by around this time or why don't you come by or, or let's talk on the phone between this time and this time. And by having that wider window, then all of the stress just goes away because it is it's like that magic hour. And every minute that goes by, you're like, oh, my gosh. I'm late. Yes. Oh, and I mean, I would like, the thing is, like, as he says in this, he's rarely actually late. Yeah. Usually he does get there on time. But the 20 minutes leading up, like, I'm going to be late. I'm never going to make it. It's oh, like yeah. adrenaline is pumping. Uh, you know, it's so unpleasant to have that feeling of that you're going to be late. Even if it doesn't happen, it's like you've now spent like a half an hour of your life in total distress for absolutely no reason. Well, here's another thing is I often will bother other people because I will be texting them like the train is running slow or, you know, yeah. this is it. And then they have to respond. And then it's like, what's happening? And then like it all goes away and I'm there on time anyway. And it's like, why did we all just like exhaust ourselves in this fruitless exchange for the sake of uh, time exactitude that isn't necessary in this situation. So I think Nathan has a brilliant hack, a window instead of a particular time, and stress yes. will drop. Yes, and you guys, I just have to say that because being on time is a major point of conflict between Adam and me and our marriage, I think any time that I can employ this when we have to get somewhere together is going to increase our harmony. So thank you, Nathan. No, like you can say to Adam, we need to be there at seven, but you would tell the host, we'll be there between seven and 7.30. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, so thanks, Nathan. Um, and let us know if you tried this and uh, if noting the start date of a painter symptom has been helpful for you. Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to the show notes for this. It's happiercast.com slash 176 for everything related to this episode. Coming up, we talk to the incredibly talented and very hip Mark Duplass. <laughs> Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Because everyone's different, Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyze your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers, so you have all the support you need to empower your change. Gretch, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day. Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com slash happier. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash happier to start your trial today.
Today, we're going to have an interview with the extraordinary actor, director, producer, musician, and writer, Mark Duplass. With so much of what he does, his partner is his brother and creative partner, Jay Duplass. Among their many accomplishments, they've produced, written, directed, and acted in projects such as the movies The Puffy Chair and Jeff Who Lives at Home, TV such as HBO's TV series Togetherness, Mindy Kaling's The Mindy Project. There's The League, Transparent, the documentary Wild Wild Country. And as if all that isn't enough, they just wrote a memoir, Like Brothers, where they describe their upbringing, their process of working together, their conflicts, and their collaboration. Welcome, Mark. Welcome, Mark. We're so happy to be talking to you today. I'm happy to be talking to you guys. How about that? (laughs) So so you've done so much, um, but one thing we wanted to just talk about right away is a question that we get a lot because we're sisters who do work together. I mean, people often ask us what it was that our parents did in raising us that really helped to foster this like close relationship that through childhood into adulthood that let us work together and still love hanging out with each other. Do you think there's anything special about what the way your parents raised you? I have a hard time coming up with a definitive answer to that question. Um, there's one thing that comes up over and over again, which is that our parents had a pretty light touch with us. Mm-hmm. We grew up in yeah. the suburbs of New Orleans. They didn't buy us a lot of toys. They didn't honestly give us anything that we asked for. Um, Except you have that so, funny you have that funny story about when you got cable as a family yes, and how yeah, revolutionary cable. it was. <laughs> yeah, that was cable, cable was definitely formative. Uh, <laughs> and um, but I think that we were left to our own devices and we were very bored. Uh-huh. And, and so that created a lot of space for us to fill and find ourselves. And then I think once they noticed that there was a special bond between myself and Jay, um, they didn't try to curate that too much and try to force us together and take care of it. They let us work out our own stuff and our mm-hmm. own little fiefdom. Um, so I can't say that that definitively fostered a connection, but it certainly worked in our favor. Right. Interesting. Now, Mark, one thing I'm dying to ask you because, about is this moment in the book, which to me was sort of the defining moment of your memoir, where you describe how you and Jay handled the moment when Jay wanted to go off and direct a movie by himself. Your credo had always been, we'll write and direct films together or we won't do them at all. And then this moment came when there was an opportunity to work on a directing project you both wanted to do. But your shooting schedule for the league meant you weren't available. And you assumed then, okay, it'll just go away. But Jay wanted to pursue it. And it just felt like it was sort of the crossroads. Yeah, it was um, a pretty definitive moment for us because um, I think when you kind of understand where we came from, which is the suburbs in the South, no connections to the industry, we truly had to lock arms, hearts, souls, spirits, brains, everything, Mm -hmm. so that we could embark on this Sisyphean journey of pushing the (laughs) boulder up the mountain, right? And I think what that means is you you get into a rhythm of, we did this together, we have to stay together. An immense codependence developed, which was beautiful and terrible, as we all know. And that moment was a moment where, you know, we not only realized that it was probably going to be impossible for us to stay lockstep like that as we got older. And it, it almost killed me, honestly, it it was so Mm. brutal for, for me in particular, because 
the thought that Jay might not need me as much as I hoped mm-hmm. he would, the thought that Jay might be able to not only direct a movie as good on his own without me, but might even do it better and what that would mean for me with 50% of me who loves him as the person I'm closest to in the world, wanting him to succeed, and the other 50% of me being desperately afraid to be left behind and jealous if he were to do something better than me, like any sibling might be. The confusion of all of those feelings almost kills me. And, you know, I'm a person who goes to therapy and and, and knows how to work with this stuff in general. And and it was really, really difficult for me. Um, But ultimately a great growth step for us and, and was one that we kind of look to now to figure out, okay, moving forward, how can we maintain some semblance of the wonderful codependence and yeah. and teamwork yeah. that we've had for years, but still individuate a little bit and find out who we are so that when we go into a party together, yeah. you know, yeah. we know how to like <laughs> breathe a little bit. You, you know? have that email um, exchange about that. What was surprising to me is like people talk about candor. They talk about people being honest. The honesty of your description of that conversation between you and Jay, it's like it's rare that people are truly that honest and direct with each other and that good at articulating all their the complexity of their feelings. It was just really striking. It made me realize how we aren't that forthright with each other because it, it was I mean, that's, a remarkable that's really sweet of level. You to- to say that. And that really is our, our goal. And it's nothing we shy away from at all. We really want to try to get to the heart of that stuff and share it. Because I think this book, if it's going to be useful in the myriad of books you have on your list that you want to read, you know, um, yeah. I think if we have something to offer, it is in that desire that we all have to be truly intimate with someone yes. and join souls with them, but also yeah. have enough faith <laughs> to, to be a person. And whether that's your sibling or your spouse or your children um that's something i deal with all the time and it's just immensely confusing to me how to do that correctly well one thing you say in your book is that of the two of you you're the one who is most inclined to take on new projects to say yes Mm -hmm. to something and he's sort of a little bit less likely to say yes how does that cause stress with you that you're sort of always kind of like hey let's do it or how do you work that out yeah i mean the joke in our family is like um if i was left to my own devices I would make like a hundred mediocre projects a year. If, if, Jay, if Jay was left to his own, he would make three quarters of the greatest project ever made, but he would die before he finished it. So this is why you're a great team. And this is kind of how we work together and, and why it works. So I don't necessarily feel pressure to fulfill any pre-established role or, or preordained expectation of what I should be doing. Um, I do feel deeply driven and compelled to make things and I can't fully understand where that comes from it might just be in my my DNA but Jay and I have learned through the years that we are honest with each other about the tendencies that we have but we try not to put each other in a box like people do with their children sometimes like this is my mm. quiet one yeah, right. this is my ham and you're like, mm. like well you're doing a great disservice to your children by putting them in boxes like that so we try not to do that to each other and and allow each other to, you know, look, occasionally I am the one who can do quality control. And occasionally Jay is the one who can actually like hit the gas. Um, mm-hmm. But in general, the, that's kind of how we tend to be energetically. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm curious because I have a writing partner who I've had, who um, she's been my writing partner for 18 years, and we went to high school together. So although we're not sisters, there's kind of a sisterly thing happening there. Yeah. And, you know, of course, part of what I love about it, and I'm sure you love about having a partner, is in Hollywood, it's like it just there's so much backstabbing. There's such a lack of trust. It's, you know, as you said, it's just so hard to make it. Do you mm-hmm. think you guys would be in this sort of relationship if you hadn't pursued a career in Hollywood? I do think we would have, and I, I attribute most of it um, to the nature of Jay Duplass, which is he was a very sweet and inclusive older brother, although he's four mm-hmm. years older than me. He let me hang with him. He took me along. And um, and so I, I we were we were this close or even closer before we decided to embark on this career together. Mm. And if anything, I would say the business relationship that we have talking about the making of art, the building of our company has brought us close and that we spend more time together. But if anything, I think it has actually harmed Mm. some of the brotherhood and the friendship at times. So Uh. now we have to be wary of like, yeah, we spent 13 hours a day together making an episode of togetherness that should make us technically a lot closer but we're not talking about all those little special dorky brother yes. things that we used to talk about. Mm. And so now we're kind of being a little more active about counterbalancing the business time. And we're, we're just going on more hikes together and like doing dorky brother stuff. And that's actually increased our intimacy more than, you know, sitting in a chair together directing. Yeah, I mean, I find that my partner Sarah and I don't want to see each other on the weekend anymore because you yeah. know we've just we've been together too much during the week, and yes, we spend more time in a business setting now than we do as friends, and so I completely relate to that. Yeah, the long and the short of it for me and Jay is we really needed to stay on top of each other and next to each other in this journey over the last fifteen to twenty years, but now we see ourselves at the top of a a uh, relatively happy making mountain and we want to give ourselves enough air to breathe and become more brothers and friends again and so we're actively loosening a lot of the work partnership in order to do that mm-hmm. and how was it starting this you had now as far as i know you didn't had never written a book either one of you apart or together and you did this and it's terrific what how did was it just fun to add yet another uh, like medium of expression to your long list of other ways of engaging. Um, yeah, did, think, what was that like? I think this, the, the instinct to write the book was, is this thing where you ever have those moments in your life where you're like, am I like doing the wrong thing? Am I in the <laughs> wrong career? Should I go do something else? Like I try to head those off at the pass by doing lots of new things that ah. are still within the realm of my career. So I can have like, you know, a little bit of a cheap, easy affair on my filmmaking career, but it's still kind of related because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's a book and it's in the entertainment realm, right, right? right? So that was a really nice thing for us to do. And then in terms of the process of it, you know, a little bit of it was frustrating because we are, I think, really highly developed as storytellers in the screenwriting realm. And then we realized how undeveloped we were in the sort of narrative prose realm. And so that was at times like, oh God, I feel like a a child again. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But it was also very exciting at times because, you know, that steep learning curve you have when you're just picking up like 
a guitar for the first time, it's so exciting to have that level of acceleration in your learning. I was willing to accept sort of all the ignorance I had and all the mistakes. And there were many, we threw out tons and tons of pages so that we could get, you know, decent at it. Um, but I hadn't felt that in a long time of like, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know if this is going to work. And, and that was kind of, it was very vital and fun. I like that phrase acceleration of learning. Cause it, there is, it is exciting when you're like just thrown at like starting a new job or something where you just, you can just feel yourself learning by leaps and bounds in a ways that you don't ordinarily do. And it is, it's exhausting, but it's also thrilling to, to tackle something so new and really feel yourself expanding in that way. Yeah, for sure. Mark, I'm dying to know what you would tell someone who is embarking upon, you know, a partnership like this. Like, what advice do you have? Because it it really can be a dicey situation when you're really throwing yourself in with somebody like that, whether it's a brother or a friend or, you know, anybody else. Yeah, I mean, my my first thing is just, like, go to therapy, even though there's (laughs) nothing wrong with you, and you may be happy and you may be fulfilled, like, Go to therapy, understand yourself, understand what your triggers are, get your ego in a place where if it's not in check, you at least understand it. Um, mm. and, and please ask your partner to do the same thing. You don't have to go together. But that level of just like um, emotional awareness and understanding will take care of 70% of the arguments and make sure you get ahead of those kinds of things. That, that's been the most critical part of it for me. Um, and then, you know, this develops slowly over the years with me and Jay, but something happens when Jay and I argue, and I don't know if you guys can identify with this at all as sisters, but I truly love him and care for him, and I'm looking out for him and his own interests in a way that means that when I am in a discussion with Jay, whether it's an argument or some sort of negotiation, 50% of me is looking out for myself and 50% of me is looking out for him. Yes. Um, and, yes. and that always means that the outcome is going to be civil. We never really raise our voices because we're just aware of what the issues are. There are no real surprises. And if so one of us starts to get upset, we're like, okay, I'm yeah. getting sensitive and yeah. triggered and I'm about to say something really stupid. So yeah. give me 24 hours on this one and I'll come back to you when I'm a little more censored. You know? right. Like, you know, um, every nuance of their totally, voice. Yeah. Totally. You know, and if you can just back up and just have this awareness of like, my goal here is to be in some level, a parent to the relationship and foster this mm-hmm. relationship and try to remove yourself from that thing and just cultivate it and grow it and love it like you're gonna do great yeah so mark before we let you go back to all your fabulous projects um there's one question we love to ask our guests which is do you have a try this at home tip that you'd suggest for listeners and this is just a small manageable thing that people can do as part of their ordinary day that would make them happier healthier more productive more creative you know something that works for you something you want to try any suggestions yeah, I got a, I got a couple. Um, Excellent. All right, so my first one is meditation. Mm. So mm. most people have trouble meditating. I have trouble meditating. That's not a reason not to meditate because there's a serious multitasking component to meditation if you look at it in the right way, which is I'm a really good sleeper, and most people are jealous of the way that I can take naps. I'm really mm. big on naps. Mm. So my advice to you is a failed meditation 
is often a successful <laughs> I love it. That's that Win-win. So get, get the Headspace app. It's really cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, it's a free trial. Don't sit in a chair because that's really hard. That's for advanced meditation. Lay on the floor or on your bed. If by chance you have a bad hip or bad back or bad neck like I do, uh. like roll up a little towel underneath it so that you can actually be doing some physical therapy at the same time. Ah, the third, oh. third multitask. All right. Nice. And then what's going to happen is you're going to lay there and you're either going to successfully meditate over the 15 minutes or because you're laying out and so relaxed, you're going to fail at meditating and you're going to successfully nap. <laughs> nice. Win-win. And I love it. And yes. And in this way, regardless of what happens, after 15 minutes, you're going to be a refreshed human being. <laughs> Um, so that's my, that's my first big life hack. Okay. Excellent. Um, What's the next one? Uh, next big life hack is you are not using the public library enough. Um, That's a great one. I love the library. You are wasting money on books. You are wasting money on most likely any sort of purchasing of iTunes movies that you're doing. You will be shocked at how advanced uh, technologically the public libraries are. Like, you line up your Kindle with your public library account, and they just zap ebooks to you when you request them. So, get into the public library and use it and save your cash. That's a great hack. I love the library. That's a great hack. Yes. Um, and then my last one is if you're a creative individual and you're a writer of some sort, whether it's fiction, whether it's screenwriting, playwriting, you know, anything. As you probably well know, it's a lifestyle that keeps you inside. It keeps you deprived of light. It makes you depressed and down on yourself at times. <laughs> um, and you don't get outside enough. Um, so it use, this is, this is very helpful for me. Um, instead of staying inside for a writing crack session, uh, take your smartphone or your iPhone or whatever you have and plug in these little headsets um, and go walk around your city for your next writing session and turn on the voice memo app. And instead uh, of writing with your fingers, verbally barf out what you're writing. So well, this, this is, is how two- you did your first screenplay, yes, right? This yeah. is going to do two things for you. One, you're going to be exercising and yep. increasing your endorphins. So you're going to be a happier person. But secondarily, if you're anything like me, when you're sitting down and you're writing – you're looking at the words you've written and you're silently judging yourself <laughs> for what you just wrote. But when you're speaking it into a you know nonlinear device, you don't see it and you don't judge. And it creates this really wonderful flow of non-judgmental creative energy. Um, so you're going to get much more done and you're going to get some nice happy endorphins in the process. Wow. Well, these were three great hacks. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Mark. Um, Everyone should read the fantastic book, Like Brothers. It's so funny. It's so thought-provoking. Yeah. And if you're interested in a career in entertainment, it's, you know, just an incredibly useful book to read on that level as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mark, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Mark. Coming up, Gretchen gives a gold star to one of her favorite podcasts. But first, this break. Okay, Elizabeth, it's time for demerits and gold stars. And this is an even-numbered episode, which means it's your turn to give a demerit to yourself. 
Yes, and Gretchen, um, this may be a demerit I've given myself before. I'm not sure. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. So recently, Adam and I went on vacation with Jack, and we came back on a Saturday, largely because you have filled me in on this tip of coming back from vacation on Saturday, not yes. Sunday, so that you have a day before you have to go to work. So Gold Star um, to you for giving me that tip, because that was my great. in-laws. My in-laws do yeah. that. Pro oh, tip. Yes. But, so I had said to Adam, why don't I make us an appointment on the Sunday when we get back from vacation at Jenny Craig? Because Jenny Craig is what I like to use to help me lose weight, and Adam likes it also. It's like very easy and effective, and we don't mind doing it, you know, so whenever we want to kind of jumpstart our diet, that's what we do. And he was like, great, do it. And I said, okay, I'll make the appointment. And then guess what? I never made the appointment. Mm. So as a result, we have not gone to Jenny Craig. And I thought starting my new job would be the perfect time to really just do that with some discipline. And now, like, that first clean slate window is gone Um, so I'm trying to once again, like build up my momentum to be like, okay, now let me make the appointment. Well, this is interesting because about starting something like that, um, it is true. I mean, the best time to begin anything is now. If you're ready, begin now. Now is always the best time, but it is true that certain times feel more auspicious, like whether it's your birthday or New Year's Eve or something. And then also you write the clean slate. If we're starting a new job or a new school or we move, That often makes it easier to try something new. But the fact is you've done this before. So maybe it feels like you feel like you missed this opportunity to start at kind of the right time. Mm -hmm. But maybe there is no right or wrong time. Maybe you're like, okay, so I missed it. So I'll start next Monday. And that will be, you know, don't get too hung up on on the fact because you do succeed once you do it. This, This is you've got this kind of once you get started. Yeah. So I just, you're right. I need to just say, okay, who cares? We didn't do it then. Like, let's make an appointment. What I should probably do is ask Mary, my assistant, to make the appointment because then I can't like not make it. Yes. That is the answer. (laughs) Of course, part of this, I'm sure, is just that I don't want to do any diet, you know, so therefore I'm just sort of you know, not making the appointment. It's not simply that I'm just forgetting to make the appointment. But if it's easier for you to ask Mary to make the appointment than it is to do it yourself, then do that. Like, make it yeah. as easy as possible to do what you want to get yourself to do. Like, that's a great idea. And she'll well, do it, I and then you'll go. going on it, she'll do it. You know, she'll actually follow through. Yeah. Whereas I can just not follow through. Right. Like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This, this way you know it'll get done. Yes. That's, that's your mission for today. Okay. All right. So, Gretchen, what is your gold star? Okay, this is a double gold star because I have given the same podcast team a gold star in the past. And this is the team at Binge Mode, uh, Mallory Mm -hmm. Rubin and Jason Concepcion. Now, Binge Mode is a podcast where it's kind of like they will talk for a while. It was all about Game of Thrones. And then they sort of they did some of the Star Wars movies. And then they did a couple episodes on Westworld. So it's if you're in the science fiction fantasy world, they will talk about various things. And some of the episodes are about things that I don't know anything about, so I just skip those episodes. But the specific gold star I'm giving to Binge Mode podcast is because they just started Binge Mode Harry Potter. Mm, First, I'm a gigantic Harry Potter fan. And I just love the way these two talk. They're like, they have such great rapport. 
they are it's so fun to hear them talk and yet they don't have banter which is i define mm-hmm. as like just cat side talk about, that's not about the subject because i'm like I desperately want to hear more about Game of Thrones. I desperately want to hear more about Harry mm-hmm. Potter. I don't want to hear about your weekend. And so they have this super wonderful conversational style that's fun to listen to. And yet they're very focused on their subject. And they just have so many insights and they bring so much to it. And I think, like, could I possibly get more pleasure out of Harry Potter than I already have? And I am getting more <laughs> pleasure out of and And they know it backwards and forwards. And so it's just immensely fun for me to listen to it. But I will say this, if you're thinking about it. First of all... There are spoilers. They talk about everything. A lot of, much of the pleasure of Harry Potter is all the foreshadowing. That as you know the books, you see the roots and you see how things play out over time. And they talk about that. So if you don't know how Harry Potter ends, mm-hmm. don't listen because it's all spoilers. And they don't warn you. It's like the whole thing is one giant spoiler. It assumes that you know everything. You've seen every movie, whatever. Um, the other thing is they do have some adult content. It's not tremendously adult because Harry Potter doesn't have that much right. adult content. But they do curse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're thinking like, oh, I know somebody who's really excited about Harry Potter, but I don't want that person to be listening to bad language, then this is not the podcast for them. It is just, I just think that they're so smart and they're so fun and they do such a great job. I think there's like six or seven episodes on the first book of Harry Potter, just Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone. They talk about like that crucial decision for the American market, for instance. It's just brought me so much pleasure, and I know that I have so many hours of listening pleasure to come. I just want to give a gold star to Binge Mode. Yes, gold star Binge Mode. I mean, I have to say, like, in terms of Game of Thrones coming back on the air, I'm excited for Game of Thrones to come back, and then, in addition, excited for Binge Mode Game of Thrones to come back. It's like a double pleasure. Oh, because they add, they point they out so many things that you miss, so you double yeah. your pleasure. Oh, yeah. Yes. It's going to be great. So, gold star to Binge Mode. Gold star to Binge Mode. And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Note the start date of any notable pain or symptom. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thank you to our producer, Odelia Rubin. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers and Kristen Meinzer of Panoply. Huge thanks this week to our terrific guest, Mark Duplass. Read the memoir he wrote with his brother, Jay Duplass, Like Brothers. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Instagram at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Liz Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. If you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend. Turn a friend on to the joy of podcasts. Show them how to subscribe. Show them how to listen to a podcast. And subscribe to us yourself wherever you listen to your podcast. The resources for this week, you can sign up for my newsletter, which is like a monthly thing where I send a bunch of links and updates and interesting stuff and bonus content and things like that. Um, Or you can sign up for the Moment of Happiness, which is a daily free email that I send out where I have a happiness quotation. And I will post the links where you can sign up for either of those in the show notes. This is happiercast.com slash 176. And I also wanted to remind you that a while back now, we asked listeners to give us their favorite wedding readings and also readings for funerals and memorial services. So if you'd like the PDF of either of those readings or both, Send me an email at podcast.gretchenrubin.com and I will email that PDF back to you. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward. I like that giant mug. You're a man after my own heart. I believe in the giant mug. This is my second giant mug. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're talking to the coffee people here. Okay, good.